Hello, my beautiful friend, and welcome back to Squidge the Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Nicole Siegel, and she is an amazing CSB doula and trauma-informed professional. Uh, I'll get more into her bio in a minute. I want to tell you first about kind of like what we're talking about in this episode because I feel like if you have a uterus you could benefit from it but even if you don't have a uterus because some people don't anymore you can still benefit from it because we are talking about pleasure and pleasure seeking how to feel our emotions all the squidgy things come uh, with removing ourselves or distancing ourselves from who we truly are so womb or not feel free to join us on this conversation. So here's a little bit more about Nicole. She's a certified sexological body worker. And she says, yep, just like on Gwyneth Paltrow's sex, love and goop. Uh, she's a doula, trauma-informed professional, and postpartum healer. She's been creating safe spaces for people to inhabit their pelvises more fully, to heal from birth and intimate trauma, and to embody their passion and desire to their fullest for three years now. She incorporates trauma-informed and client-led bodywork into her sessions to aid her clients to find pleasure and empowerment in their relationships with their body, sexuality, self, and ultimately vitality in life, love, relationships, and work. You can find more about Nicole at www.bodycompass.me and you'll see during our conversation why she called it that or follow her on Instagram at bodycompass.me as well. So without further ado, let's get into it because we all deserve to feel a little bit more pleasure in our lives these days. All right, let's go. Welcome to Squidge, the place for conversations about confronting the squidgy feelings that make us want to cry, cringe, quit, and create chaos. It's in this squidgy space that we can choose to either empower ourselves to move closer to our authenticity or revert back to our old ways of thinking and being. My name is Terry Hofford, and as a body image educator, creative podcaster, and author, I am no stranger to experiencing squidginess in both my personal and professional life. And I'm so excited to have you here as I bring you episodes featuring my own experiences with the squidge while also introducing you to some of my amazing friends who have empowered themselves through their own squidginess to achieve great things. From topics ranging from body image to entrepreneurship to motherhood to travel, there is something here for anyone who is, well, human. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm super excited because I am chatting with Nicole. So, Nicole, my favorite question to ask people is, what do we need to know about who you were as a little kid to know who you are now and the work that you are doing now? What does it like? What was the path, essentially? Wow, that's an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I, I've come to the realization that it would not be surprising for anyone that knew me um, in my youth uh, that I was doing what I'm doing now. It's been a surprising journey for me, but every time I have actually like run into people that are, that have known me all my life, they're like, yep, that tracks perfectly. Like you've always been um, a seeker of pleasure and kind of um, unapologetic uh, in the way that you go after what you want. Um, and now teaching people how to do that, um, it makes, apparently makes perfect sense. <laughs> Felt like a radical move for me though. Yeah. When, when you were little, in what ways did that manifest for you? And so when I say little, I mean like anywhere up to your teen years, of course. So like um, when we're super young, we tend to know what we like to seek out, but then people come along or society comes along and says, well, I mean, you know, maybe don't do that, do this instead. So in what ways did pleasure seeking kind of manifest for you in those years? And then, yeah. And then kind of what happened because it feels radical change to you, what happened to get you away from that only to come back to it now? Um, I was literally staging protests when I was like 11. Amazing. 
Yeah. Um, I have a memory of uh, like standing up in the lunchroom for a cause that I really believed in and it ended in everyone, all the students cheering with me. And um, I thought it was, I thought I had dreamed that. And then I checked with my parents um, a couple of years ago, like, did this ever happen? They're like, oh yeah, we got called into the principal's office. Um, and I remember like sitting out uh, at uh, playtime on the playground and um, I couldn't, I couldn't play for a week or something. And every day the kids would go by me and they would all like shake my hand or like tap my hand as they went by and like solidarity. Solidarity. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, I guess I was never really shy about sex. Um, I kind of felt like I was the first of my friends to, to really get into it. And, um, there were a lot of times where, um, I was getting trouble at school for making out with my boyfriend, my Brazilian <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> Pleasure seeking to the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then what happened to kind of get you away from that so that you could in fact find your way back as most of the people that I interview on this podcast, something happens, you know, in our middle part where we fall for the we fall for the way it should be instead of following our intuition. So for you, what was it that kind of took you away from that or took you away from yourself, so to speak? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of thinking on the fly here. So we don't, I don't know how neat this is going to come out, but. Um, That's the best way. <laughs> I, I know that there was a lot of shame in my household um, for sexuality. Um like I remember my father like banging on the door if it sounded like there was something going on um and at some point I I started following a, another passion that I had but I found out later it wasn't uh the perfect form of um of what was really important to me but I started following more of like a um like a STEM path. Like I started um, really focusing on like math and chemistry and things like that. And my plan was to go into um, economics and feminist foreign policy right before um, I got into um, sexuality work and birth work. Mm. Um, and I, that, I think that came from really the, the traumas that I experienced when I was younger trying to make systemic change so that it would prevent anyone else from getting hurt. And so I was kind of avoiding feeling um, what I really felt about my personal experiences by trying to change the problem on mm -hmm. like a, on a global level. Um, and so the way I was the way I was metabolizing the abuse that I experienced in my childhood and the sexual assault that I experienced in college was that it was kind of like, let me take um, a wide, the widest view possible um, so that I don't have to feel these feelings. And that's how I got into the line of study that I ended up studying, which was philosophy, urban studies. I minored in social work and then my plan was to study economics and then the mm. pandemic happened and I made a drastic uh, turn <laughs> and started um, studying sexuality and birth work. Yeah, I find that like because I also do a lot of work in body image and things like that, I kind of took a similar approach as like, let's deal with these feelings through logic, right? Like, let's learn the science. Let's figure out a way to control, to control the situation. Exactly. And like the intention behind it is good. You know, it's, it's always easier to help other people than it is to help ourselves for sure. So it like, it gives, it gives the trauma and that experience some form of meaning. So that way you can move forward and having that logical side of ourselves allows us to do something in the meantime, until we get the tools and the skills um, to be able to start dismantling it from within and start start to feel. 
So because you were, because pleasure was like, was such an important thing for you. And then as we go to logic, usually that stops us from feeling literally anything, right? When we turn off the bad, it also turns off the good. Um, so what, what was that like coming back into pleasure? Because I find that that like, that's something I definitely have struggled with, not when deal with like the death of my father, not feeling those feelings. It definitely also allowed me to like, I felt bad celebrating things like overly. Right. So coming back into it has been like feeling all the feelings has been really like scary a little bit so what was that experience for you Mm. gosh that's it's been it's a continued journey I mean the way that I do my work now it feels like a constant self-inquiry you know I, Mm. I can't be helping my clients unless I'm also examining myself all the time because it's um creating a um creating an environment that's uh, counter to the culture at large, like it creates, it uh, is difficult. That's difficult to maintain constantly. And so um, it takes constant self-inquiry, but the journey to feeling all the feels, <laughs> um, it actually started with me um, stopping birth control. And I had been taking birth control for 10 years and- oh the best way I can describe it is that it was like, I could see color again. It really felt like I was seeing the world in black and white. And then I was able to, to see color and feel sexual desire again. And I, I didn't realize that, um, like I would go to bed every night and think, God, I can't believe I have to wake up another day. Mm. And I just, I, and after getting off the pill after two weeks, I was able to hear like that, that thought from Mm -hmm. the outside and that, that sucks. That's you know, there's like no will to live, you know? Yeah. It's scary. Like, like, oh, wow. Especially when you can see it from the outside to be like, I can't believe that my brain did go there. Yeah. And consistently for Mm -hmm. like years, like that's how I felt for years. Wow. Um, And I thought that's what living felt like, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I thought that I was supposed to be by myself, that I wasn't supposed to have community, that um, my relationship was supposed to feel just tolerable or like maybe just under tolerable for me. Yeah. It's very Um, like apathetic, right? Where it's like, well, this is just what it is like settling and yeah. Wow completely and then I got off the pill and I just started to demand more like in my relationship I it was not okay with me anymore that we were never having sex it was not okay with me anymore that um that even feeling like discomfort on my skin like I got rid of half of my closet because I just could not tolerate anything that didn't feel good anymore Mm. um I let totally let go of the economics degree um I was on track for um I was engaged to be married off and um it's been a really like down in the dirt like exploration of who I really am the entire this whole time I mean I was working with a sexological body worker for I think nine months um, and she taught me how to experience my body again she taught Mm. me how um, to create safe environments for myself that I could expand into Um, and she she taught me how to love other people too because I was so um guarded there was really no way for people to get in Mm -hmm. um and through through um discovering my sexuality I also discovered just being in the world like being in community being in real partnership and um yeah just existing as a as a like a present um entity in the world so yeah that's a little bit about my journey yeah I find that that's like 
and I and I don't know if it's like our generation that is like seeing things differently than like previous generations I feel a lot of people not all people of course but a lot of people did tolerate a lot like they just were like this is what it is this is the path you choose and that's it there's no room for change there's no anything but I feel like our generation has this other element of I don't know if it's like emotional evolution or we're able to talk about things a bit more so we recognize wait there is a different way for me to exist um and maybe if I try this we'll see what happens um like a bit more risk taking in that regard um but but it's really hard I think for a lot of people to take that risk when they are in such a I call it the comfortable discomfort right because even though it's uncomfortable there's some sort of safety and comfort or else we wouldn't stay there right um so for you what was kind of like like I know you said you went off the pill but like what was it that that happened or like what was the thought that you had that was like enough what happened for you to have that kind of moment um it was my body yeah, I can't believe I, I often forget this part of the story, but it, it was my body that told me I had to do it, which is why I've decided to call my brand Body Compass. It really is because it feels like the easiest way to exist to follow your body. So um, I ended up getting um, appendicitis and I got my appendix removed and it was the day before I was um, about to jump on a flight from America to Europe and so I don't know what would have happened if my appendix would have burst on that flight um, mm -hmm. and so we like went to the hospital and they were like okay we're gonna have to remove your appendix I'm like okay great so we can do this now I can get on a flight tomorrow and they're like <laughs> no silly <laughs> like you're grounded for like four weeks and I was like I have to spend four weeks in the suburbs of Texas <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> um yeah and so that was so it was a really hard recovery like I ended up in the hospital three or four more times after the surgery um, oh. because I had unimaginable pain morphine was not helping it was just insane and my body was just yeah, it took a while to respond, I think, because I was so low on resource and I was in a relationship that was really, really, really draining. Mm. Um, and I was in, uh, I eventually made it over the pond um, and I was visiting my boyfriend in Switzerland and the same pain came back um, and we, um, it was not as easy to get to the, to the hospital as it was like in the suburbs of Houston. Cause we were in a, um, like a city in Switzerland. And, um, so I started feeling this pain and the medics came to pick me up. We were kind of panicking and the medic said, are you sure this isn't your period? And at the time I was like a giant, fuck you. Like a mega giant, fuck you. Sorry, I don't know if that's okay. No, you can swear, definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be joking me. Like I'm yeah. taking like ridiculous painkillers <laughs> and you're telling, I just had a surgery on my abdomen and you're telling me like you're gaslighting all of that. Like, like you just opened all of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except. He was right. Except. It was my <laughs> but that's and... where but that's where all that gaslighting like medical gaslighting previously fucks us over again because we're oh, like totally. no like it's got to be more than that of course you're gonna say it's this and then we don't believe when it's actually yeah. is the thing yeah totally and like more than that like or in addition to that like I the reason I didn't believe it is because I was on birth control taking it continuously. So I didn't mm. even have the withdrawal period. Yeah. Um, and which I now think is absolutely insane to be taking hormones. I, it had been 10 years at that point. Um, I've been taking hormones and um, not having, I didn't have a period for that many years. And so, oh, wow. um, yeah. And so when he suggested that, I was like, well, there's no way. And also, fuck no, you. you're an idiot. And it turned out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a couple of days later, I finally made it back to Spain. And the moment that I got back to my 
safe apartment, my blood just came and it was um, new moon. And I, I don't, there was not a logical train of thought. It was literally like, like my blood came. It was the heaviest period I've ever had still. And I was like, I am not supposed to be on birth control anymore. And so Mm. I just stopped. I just stopped that day and I didn't worry about the repercussions or if there, if I was supposed to get off of it a certain way. Cause I, I, it it was like that moment of uh, switch flipped and I became very distrusting of the entire um, Western medical model anyway. And so I was definitely not going to be consulting a doctor about that. So I just, I stopped and then it took, it only took about two weeks for my brain chemistry or organic brain chemistry to come back online and for me to see things really differently again. That's so like, I don't think it's uncommon either for a lot of people. Like ever since I was little, I used to have like, like pretty bad cramps and like when I was 15 or whatever, and they were like, we're going to put you on birth control. And I didn't know why, but I was like, no, I don't, I don't want like something in my intuition was like, don't do that. Like that's, it might be good for some people, but it was not clear. Like my intuition at that point, cause I was 15. So obviously you listen a bit more than when you're in your twenties. Um, and I trusted it then. And yeah, I haven't been on birth control that way. Yeah. Ever. And for me, it was oh, like amazing. a really good decision, but I've heard so many stories about women or um you know people with uteruses that like go through birth control and the outcome is not super great for them and it's like it is for some people so I don't want to say don't just don't don't stop your birth control unless this makes sense to you like listen to your body but I think uh I was just working on a presentation today about how body image impacts our intuition and how diet culture essentially separates our mind from our body that logic knows better than like millions of years of like intellection and how we've been hardwired to ignore literally every sign our body is telling us um, and how that ends up fucking us over in, in such a case as this. Right. And so for you coming back from that, like how did you learn to because obviously it's not as simple, like changing our brain is not as simple as like, oh, I'm definitely going to trust you now forever, body. Like there's still the, well, but also I still know better that that still populates, right? So what is a process or kind of a tool that you use? Um, I know you mentioned like inquiry and things like that. So if you can expand a bit more on what that looked like for you to like slowly repair that relationship with your body once you realize like, oh, she's trying to talk to me. So there is a period about two weeks where I was just freaking out because I had dismantled every structure that made me comfortable. Ah. And I did not know who I was or what my life was going to look like or how to even like tell people to relate to me or anything. Um, uh, like, so <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there were these, this, these two weeks and it was, I was in Barcelona um, and it was during the lockdown and during the lockdown in Spain, we couldn't even go on walks. Like you literally couldn't leave your apartment. I think I left my apartment three or four times. Like I stepped foot outside of my door three or four times in two and a half months Wow! just to go to the grocery store. And you didn't even want to be outside because it felt like a doomsday film out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time this is a little off track but I remember the first time I saw and like touched grass again oh my god (laughs) that was (laughs) that was orgasmic (laughs) yeah that was Um, a good day mm -hmm. but um oh goodness what did you ask me (laughs) just kind of the process to my body yeah learning how to retrust right so I um during those two weeks um I I found an online yoga summit, uh, which is not never something I would have devoted any of my time to before that. Um, and I just started going to a bunch of talks where um, it was a 
it was a summit about somatics actually, which I, I didn't know what that word meant at the time. Um, and so I was listening to all of these talks about um, how the body, how, how, how intelligent the body is. There were things about like the psoas um, and the nervous system and um, like classical tantra, tantric philosophy, um, nothing to do with the sex tantra, but like classical tantric philosophy. Um, and I, I was at the same time I was reading um, a book by Eckhart Tolle. Um, I think it was a new earth. And so all of this kind of combined and I experienced presence for the first time and I just broke down. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I was looking at my hands in awe and just crying because I couldn't believe that I was this miracle that had life that like moves independently and, and thinks and has all of this intricacy within this physical boundary. Yeah. I was just, I was just in like in wonder, like of what was going on, like in me and right before me. Um, and I, during the, the rest of the lockdown, everything kind of felt sacred to me. Like it was very easy to, meditate on my daily activities because there wasn't anything else going on I couldn't be distracted by anything else because we were stuck indoors and so making my coffee in the morning felt sacred mm. um, like sitting out on the balcony and hearing the birds felt sacred it felt like I was like permitted into this temple where everything was perfect um, and so I got basically like a meditation retreat, like set up for me for two months. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I built a really strong foundation um, of a relationship with my body during that time. Um, yeah. I think that's something that like, because I know for me, the pandemic was similar where I was like, I have this time that I always said, oh, if I had more time, I would do that. Da, 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 da. Right. Like so many people, we saw the existential crisis of people be like, ah, oh, crap. Now I do have the time to write the novel, <laughs> totally. to do the thing. And they're like, ah, oh, shit. Now I actually have to do it because I have the time. Um, but I know for me, I was like, okay, I have this distance away from the life that I was living. Like I had this space away from hustle culture, this, um, this space where I can go to my studio, similar here in Canada, we had really strict lockdowns and it gave me the breathing room and the safe space to explore what life could be like with a daily practice, with taking care of myself, with listening to my body um and that's when I heard my body for the first time again after depressing her so much it was like you need to move your fucking body like go walk outside don't set a time limit but you need like very loudly very clearly was get outside and if I had not have done that I maybe would not even be here to have this conversation because my yeah. body was like that far from shutting down or that close to shutting down because I just ignored it. You know what I mean? And that's why I was like, uh, it was so interesting because I'm like, well, here I am talking about body image and like loving the way your body looks that I didn't realize, okay, that's the top level of body image work. There is so much more under here about our attachment to productivity and success, about our attachment to ability, about our attachment to all these things that we're still thinking we know better than this organic thing that's been been here forever, you know? Uh, and it's, I think having that space is something that while the pandemic itself was not obviously something that was super great or is super great. Um, if people can find a way to carve space into their life to start these practices, I think it's definitely worth doing. And for you, so that was 2020, obviously. Yeah. We kind of went through that at the same time. So for me, it's been like, I'm still figuring out who do, who do I want to be instead of who have I always been? And just like shedding layer after layer saying no to things that I normally would just say yes to, to people, please, or whatever. And it's terrifying. Like I went through the beginning of this year was very dark. 
like the very like who am I what's the point of all of this like all those systems again just crumbling before me so and I'm and I noticed that there's actually a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are experiencing or going to be experiencing something similar coming up so what is one thing they can do, even though they have a busy life, maybe, what is one thing they can do or would you suggest that they do to start the process of trusting their bodies or listening to those feelings or feeling the feelings? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is most helpful to me and the people I work with is really having this mantra to follow, following your pleasure and following the pull instead of the push. So we're told what we're supposed to do in so many different ways, but there is a pull somewhere in you that is pulling you towards something that actually feels really, really good and is nourishing to you and is, um, you know, vitality giving. Um, and we do need to like clear away the path, um, from our like cognitive brain to our body. Cause it's, it's overgrown for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so one thing that, um, I start people with is just to notice the pleasure that's already in your routine. Mm. So not trying to take on a new habit yet, but just noticing what's already there. So is there like pleasure in the feeling of your hair touching your shoulders or your back? You know, like, is it pleasurable to see the sun come through the window and land on your face or on your body somewhere? Um, maybe there's a moment just before your kids wake up where you see them sleeping peacefully and, um, you know, that's the, it's them and they're perfect for me. You would, you enjoy that, you know, image, um, or a little touch that your partner gives you. Maybe they give it to you every day on the small of your back. And can you really lean into the pleasure of that already? And when we start orienting towards pleasure more in that way, we start wanting more and more and more of it. And then suddenly when, whereas you didn't have any time to devote to yourself or your body before you're starting to suddenly have time, even though your schedule hasn't changed at all. Mm. Yeah, and I think also learning how to find pleasure in the things that we still have to do, you know, for a lot of different reasons. People can't quit their jobs or whatever. I'm like, I'm the type of person that's like, just quit it. You could just get another one, but right? Super dreamy. Yeah, me too. I feel. yeah, exactly. I'm like, why not? And then I'm like, well, I don't have kids and I have a very independent right. husband. So like, yeah, okay, I get it. Not everyone can just suddenly quit their jobs totally. but um but I think one of the things even when I was in a career that was not maybe my chosen path or I was like oh like the way I thought about it changed the way that it was so even though the tasks were the same I was like okay I gotta find something that is enjoyable here or something I can learn from this or make meaning out of the thing um and that is definitely what helped me like even looking back at like the things that were not what I would consider my ideal career or my ideal relationships I realized I was collecting information about what would be next so I said like like I was um you know for a while talking shit about my ex-boyfriends and I was like yeah but there was something I liked about them clearly or else I would not have been with them there was something they offered me and I realized that my husband is the accumulation of all the good from all the past exes mm -hmm. so all the things I love they did they were like only a part of what I like only a part of what they had to offer me but it allowed me to say okay I like this piece how can I find somebody that has all these things and then my husband showed up and it was like recognizing that shifted how I saw them. Um, or similarly, like something my husband does when he like, it frustrates the piss out of me is like, he will like drop everything to help his like family or friends or whatever, even at the expense of himself. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like, how could you do that? But then I realized I was like, but he does that for me. And I love that I can count on him doing that for me. So I can't be mad that that is just who he is, right? So shifting the way that I see the things that frustrated me or whatever to see what is what is the good that is coming out of that 
allows me to see it differently and see seek joy and pleasure that way instead of changing the person it's like how can I shift the perspective my expectations of the person yeah yeah there's this concept that we have in sexological body work when we're working with pelvic pain um where you are not discounting the pain um but what what we do is get really clear on where the pain is actually happening so that you can pinpoint it in your body and giving your brain like a much um, broader and deeper cognitive map of the sensations of your genitals because we it's usually just a gray zone down there. And so giving people more of a map first with hands-on work and then getting clear on where the pain is so that it's not your entire genitals. And so then you're able to experience pleasure in another part. Mm. And so it's not discounting the pain um, and um, it's not delegitimizing it, but it is giving you access to pleasure again. Um, and that's actually how you, you can actually solve a lot of pelvic pain mm. that way. And so it's kind of the same concept with what can, I have the same body that I'm experiencing the same challenge with and what feels good about that. Mm. And letting it guide us instead of like just hating it, right? Or thinking that it's a betrayal. I think um, I injured my knee like a few weeks ago and I was like, but so at first it's like the whole knee hurts, like everything hurts. I was like, okay, let's just get stopped for a second and see if we can localize like in our mind, like where am I actually, where is the pain actually being felt? And so similarly, and then from there, I was able to say like, oh, like instead of treating it with just like numbing it out, I was like, no, 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 let it guide me to what that part needs. And two years ago, I definitely wouldn't, I would have just been like, I can work through this. Just give me more pain pills and I'll be fine, you know, and just ruined it even more. But now it's like, no, it needs to rest. So rest it, put it up. You need ice now. You need heat now. Like, actually being able to localize it helped me help it much that part of me that much more um but it's taken like for me it's been like 10 years of body image work like getting through that appearance level first and now like separating for like it's so much work <laughs> and it will forever be work I personally like it sometimes but I know it can be frustrating at times for people. Like, did you ever have a moment in your own like self-growth journey where you were like, oh, can I just get to the end yet? As if there was an end. Um, so I, at some point um, during the self-growth journey, I started changing my relationship to food and cooking. And that was really important, an important step for me, because that is when I realized um, as I uh, studied Ayurveda very lightly and could not regurgitate any of the information I <laughs> learned at all. But um, the philosophy that I left with was that like, cooking is not supposed to be instant. Um, you're not supposed to eat and not feel it. Mm. Um and it's not, and none of that's supposed to be automatic. And so um, I was, I was able to create a understanding of a life and my mind from just that, um, that life is not, you're not supposed to be able to go on autopilot lit. Mm. Like it's not supposed to be easy. Like you're not supposed to be walking along a road and things are just like flowing into your mouth and nourishing you like mm. uh, everything that you would need. So it's, you're supposed to be interacting with life. Um, it's a co-creation between you and the world. Um, and so that kind of like paradigm shift for me, I think has prevented me from ever thinking like, when is this going to end? Because it does, it really feels like I'm following my pleasure and following my body all the time. And so it, it doesn't, feel exhausting except in one relationship that I've been in <laughs> where I thought that relationship was self-growth mm. and it so wasn't it was just a trauma pattern like deep we were deep into a trauma pattern and that like for sure I had the we had the thought we vocalized it many times like does this ever end and the answer mm. is no just break up 
<laughs> well, that's so. what uh, my one mentor, she's always like, it's just around the mountain we go and it'll be the same test just in a different form as you yeah. go around the mountain. That's all it is over and over and over again. Uh, and I'm like, okay, but yeah, I think there's something like definitely I have found in the, not just pleasure seeking, but just the like self-help or self-growth, um, area. And I fell victim to this as well is this idea of, oh, if I just learn enough, or if I just do enough affirmations, or if I just do these things, then I will no longer feel what it means to be human. Right. Where mm -hmm. like we want to not we're trying our best to avoid feeling any sort of pain or sadness. But again, when we do that, if we opt for that, then we also miss out on pleasure and joy and celebration and the, the other end of the spectrum. So that's something I definitely had to like come around to is like, OK, you can learn all you want, but you're still going to have to feel it. That's the thing. Right. And so for you, after you had kind of like, like getting in touch with your body is one thing, but how was it when you started to like feel feelings? Like what, what is one of the feelings that you tried your best to avoid for me is anger and sadness, like the, the bad ones. Now I'm just like, emotions are just information, but before it was like, that's a bad one. That's a good one. Right. So for you, what were the feelings that you were trying to avoid feeling? Anger is so easy for me. Um, so part of my learning has been um, like seeing what was underneath it. Um, mm. And something that I, I, an emotion that I avoided a lot was sadness um, and stillness um, and fear. Yeah, there's like... I was able to push through life, my whole life, believing that I could accomplish absolutely anything, mm. um, which is uh, like one of those phrases that we're all really used to hearing. And it's kind of ridiculous. Like it, it's, we can't actually, and it's okay. Like, it's okay mm. that we have physical limits, mm -hmm. you know, like we are a physical being where we can't just disperse and spread our essence infinitely. Yeah. Um, and so, um, like sadness and kind of feeling the like limit of my humanity, <laughs> um, and this sounds a bit extreme, but like coming to the realization that I was going to die one day, <laughs> I know that sounds a bit ridiculous because I'm in my twenties, you know, um, but there was some kind of existential paradigm shift around that of being able to sit with uh, the stillness and sit with sadness that I couldn't do before. There was a lot of avoiding it mm. with anger, with um, like avoiding any kind of intimacy with anyone because it felt like a mirror back to me of my um, anything that I lacked, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think like feeling feelings is so hard <laughs> especially <laughs> sadness because like uh, the way I've had to teach myself is that they're just waves like I think our brain goes into oh my god like especially those of us that have been seen as happy and joyful most of our lives like that's a character state or we assume it's a character state so when we go into one that is not that our brain's like oh god we're just gonna be sad forever now I guess like very quickly yeah. goes over here to the and it's like no I can just be sad for a minute or like for the day and then tomorrow's a new day and it's going to be a different feeling based on what's around me and what's happening like I think I had to have that mindset shift that emotions are not character states um which was something that really helped me out for sure was recognizing like just because I'm sad doesn't mean I'm a sad person right does that make sense like it wasn't yeah. unless I wanted it to become that. But um, but for me with I was the opposite where I'd never let myself feel angry because when I was really young, I apparently my neighbors, the neighbors were like going after my brother, like being mean. And I went after them with a big stick when I was like four years old. Like I just like let my anger unleash so to speak. And my mom said I had like nightmares for weeks after that. I wouldn't sleep because I was the good girl and like good girls aren't angry. 
right? And my sister was the angry one. And so I just learned to like push down any anger. And it wasn't until like two years ago, I was in a modeling class and they were like, okay, like feel angry. And I was like, I can pretend angry, but I don't actually even remember what it's like to fully feel it in my body. Like, where do I feel it? What color would I assign it? What does it do? And so that was very eye-opening for me that I really push that away. And then looking at the coping mechanisms I developed, because obviously you're still angry. It doesn't go anywhere. You just cover it up with some good stuff um, short term. So for you, what were some of the like ways that you managed to not deal with sadness or things like that before you learned that it's just information? <laughs> like the coping mechanisms, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I was just deep into like what the hustle culture, like you would call mm. it. Like what? I define myself based on my achievements. Um, I was really, really devoted to school. Um, I was really, really harsh on my body. Like I was working out a ridiculous amount. I had an eating disorder for a really long time. Mm. Um, and I had to make sure that everything was quantifiable in my life. And so even my relationship, like I, I, I think it happened this way. I think I pushed us to getting engaged mm. so that it was like, a, I could write it down. Like we had done Jack the mark. task, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what helped me, um, was understanding emotions as like sensations in the body and allowing that to be fully expressed and like mm. being in the images of it and the colors and the rhythm and the movement of what the emotion was. And it, I discovered that every, like what you label negative emotion, there's like a seed of, um, the solution that it's trying to solve. If you mm. just go deep in it, um, and like that. that's some, yeah, that's something that I learned from the sexological body worker that I was working with and just learning, learning the skills of somatics. And that was real handy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like, because we tend to stay away from the things we're afraid of. Right. So when we're afraid of sadness, anger, whatever, we're just like, I'm just not going to feel it instead of like, Oh no, I'm going to make friends with you. And you are going to tell me what is up. <laughs> we are going to sit here until you tell me what you want <laughs> yeah thanks so much for being here too like hi what's your yeah <laughs> and I, I definitely found for me like a I think it was in a meditation I was listening to where they were like what color is it and for me I'm very visual so that really helped me determine like what color would I assign to my anger my anxiety my uh, it's really good when you're really high, by the way, to figure that out because <laughs> it is very vibrant <laughs> and you can, Noted. well, for me, I can really pinpoint where it was in my body for sure. But uh, because like uh, for me, when I do pot, it like makes all my anxiety come up. So I was like, oh, this is where my anxiety is. It lives in my chest because it was so prominent. I was like, we're not wasting this terrible experience we are going to learn something and I was like I know now that when I feel that even if it's a little bit of that here that's anxiety talking which means it's not rooted in truth it's rooted in the past right or future so so now I know that but I wouldn't have known that if I did not have that experience I don't think um, to that extreme but also it gives me a color and then what color would I use to soothe it like just being able to like create a visualization that allows me to work with my body and other emotions to work through the ones that I have a harder time with has been really really impactful yeah there's this concept concept in somatics where you are encouraging whatever shape that challenge is showing up and so if, like let's say the anxiety is like a curling up or something like that like the practitioner actually um supports that curling up and mm. allows it to go to its completion so that it can then unravel because the the challenging feelings are there for a reason like there's trying to solve something like a reframe that i give my clients a lot of times is when we're met with a challenge or we're met with a closing in the body, it's not that it's a, it's a brick wall that we can't get past. It's just a wall and a maze that's telling us to either go left or right. 
Mm. And we just follow it. We thank the sign and then we follow it because it's taking you towards something that feels really good. Yeah, I I really like that approach because that helped me a lot with feelings of like jealousy and bitterness. And instead of feeling shame about like, oh, no, I shouldn't feel this way. It's like, but the reality is, is that you do. So what are you going to do with that information, right? Instead of instead of being like, oh, God, I shouldn't have thought that. But you did. So deal with it, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a long time, I would just feel shame about feeling these things instead of working through them. So I'm going to like go in a, maybe not a complete direction change, but I want to know more about the work you do as a doula and working with postpartum clients in regards to their body image, because that is something that comes up a lot. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of pressure from society for women to bounce back and or folks to bounce back after giving birth and all that, all that kind of bullshit. So for you, what has your experience been like in working with clients through that process? Like I always said, childbirth is a trauma. As somebody that looks at it from the outside looking in, I'm like, your body changes drastically in 24 to 78, uh, you know, 74 hours, whatever. And like, and you're, and there's no like mental health support for folks afterwards. And like any, if you were to go through any other sort of medical type trauma where your body changes drastically you would have to go to pt you'd have to go for counseling like all this stuff but they're like no here's your baby bye Mm -hmm. uh and let's focus on the baby or babies instead so yeah so walk me through kind of the approach that you would take with your clients to kind of work them through that aspect of bought the body image uh during and after birth so many pieces to to this answer um the first thing i'll say though is that i i don't think birth is inherently traumatic i do think it is likely to be traumatic in within the system of support that we have right now but it we were born to do it our mm-hmm. bodies were made to do it um and so our bodies do have a capacity to do it probably like maybe not feeling pleasure, but it, it should feel congruent with like what our biological like capabilities are, not like an impossible feat that we need like endless drugs for. So I wonder if that's a big part of like why I do view it as traumatic that way is because because of that we resist what our bodies are doing up until that point. And then all of a sudden we're expected to give over to it. Like it's very out of control right? We love our control. Um, so it's a very out of control experience, which I think is why it's easy to approach the body as being the problem because we don't control it. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Like birth is one of those times where you cannot ignore that you're an embodied being. Like you have to come face to face with that. You can't, you, you can't go through that on autopilot, even if you decide to, you know, get an epidural and get a C-section, even like your body has that memory, you're going to process your womb holding something and then not holding it at some point in some way. Um, Menopause is another one of those experiences um, that um, women or people with uteruses have um, where you can't really ignore that you're an embodied being um, and you have to come face to face with that, you know? Um, And so like how I work with women through that journey, like there's, there's so many pieces to fill in because we're so far away from a model of uh, birth support that would be vitality giving to women so far away from it. Um, So doula work, like I always tell people that are um, thinking of signing with us that um, yeah, doula can, will help you a ton, but the re- reality is doulas and mid- midwives are trying to fill a gap in the culture mm. um, that used to be filled by an entire village of people. Like there used to be a whole like yeah. generations of families that were helping you through um, this experience. Um, and so like one of the most important things for women 
having a peaceful journey with their body image through birth is first them getting used to the idea that they have to be in the energy of being and stillness rather than doing leading up to the birth mm. and well after the birth because your body has to heal um and so it's almost like shifting their paradigm of of their body before it um before we get to the postpartum period um it's about like can they start having that peaceful communication with their body that's guided by pleasure um, so that when they're met with this time where you have, you're in the relationship with the body and the, the entity in the relationship, the body like needs to be cared for because it's ill mm. and it's not actually ill when you're recovering from birth, but it needs a lot of care. It needs like, uh, like physical care um, and respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's working on that reframe is a lot of the work. And that's really hard. Like you're in the U.S., like I'm in Canada. So we have like paid maternity, paternity leave, all that good stuff. But in the U.S., that's not the case. From what I understand, it's not a federally mandated thing. Uh, it's up to the employer to decide that. And so um, so we see a lot of, um, you know, people giving birth and then feeling like, oh, I have to get back to work, like within two days, like as soon as they're out of the hospital, just to pay for the hospital, they like immediately go back and they're like leaking and bleeding and like all this stuff. And they have to be at work. Um, there was an episode of the, uh, have you, do you watch the show Superstore? I think it's like an older TV show, but America Ferrera is in it. And she ends up giving birth and then has to come back to work at this like Walmart essentially. Um, and she just like, is like, kill me. Like, this is the worst. But it sheds a light on the reality of um, childbirth for so many in the US, I think. Um, and the culture of just get back to work. That's what you're, you're a producer. This is what you do. You produce something, but now you got to go produce more things. Right. And just it must be very difficult um, for people. So what because you are in the U.S. and so you're supporting people that maybe do experience that. What is some advice that you would give people in terms of maybe a support system that they could have if they have to go back to work? Or like what what do you recommend in that situation for people when they kind of feel pressured to not rest? Yeah. Um, so I say this to everyone, like literally every single client I work with is that any money you're going to spend on yourself during this period is the best money you will ever spend on anything. So like get a doula, try to have a birth that's supported by a midwife, um, um, a person that actually knows what uninterrupted birth looks like get a postpartum doula so that they can help you, you know, through the nights and help you um, bring your body back to life. Like anything that you know helps your body, whether it's um, massage or acupuncture or anything like that, that's spend money on it. God, it's like so worth it to spend that money. And then um, if you can, when you're pregnant, like develop a community of wise women, like mm -hmm. women throughout, like different generations of women that know what this is like, because birth and postpartum and, and breastfeeding, all of this used to exist organically around us. We didn't need to seek out education on it because it was happening in the same room as us. And, you know, if we needed help, we can just go to our, you know, our mother, or our grandmother and ask what to do. And so mm -hmm. like, trying your best to create a community of wise women around you to support you in, in the postpartum is, is absolutely vital. Um, and like, know that you're going to need touch in the postpartum. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we go through this whole, well, I say we, even though I haven't had children yet, though I desperately want to. <laughs> um, but as women, we go through this whole underworld journey of, um, kind of dissolving like our self dissolves when we go through birth and you really are close to this portal of existence um, bringing something new into the world that did not exist before and coming back out of that and coming back into the upper world like you need to be met with people to hold, 
hold mm-hmm. you while you learn how to be a physical um uh like entity again being again where you learn how to pick your pieces back up and put them back together um and it's supposed to be that way if you feel lost when you're in the postpartum right now know that that's really common in our culture um and do your best to surround yourself with women that care I love that. I think one of the things that also gets in the way of that is that so many of us have learned that it's weak to ask for support or help, or we don't want to burden people or be an inconvenience. Um, And learning how to ask for those needs to be met, just like asking for your pleasure or things like that, it all kind of stems from the same place of knowing that Everything in your capitalist in our capitalistic society is telling you you need to do it alone and by yourself. That's what they want. The system's working. Uh, the best rebellion you can have is by reaching out and starting to have community to ask for support. And um, I know for me, I was the strong, independent person that didn't need anybody to help me. And I was like, no, that's wrong. Uh, you definitely need people that can help you because it's not always going to be easy and you need somebody in your corner, whether you're giving birth or not. Like you need people there and people want to help. This mm-hmm. is the thing. Like people want to help. Like it's not a burden for them. Right. And so I think that's one of the hurdles that we have to get over is our fear of looking like an inconvenience. And understanding that if somebody says they want to help, they truly do. Yeah. And if we all just join together and like full authentic community, that would be like the biggest rebellion on earth. Like if we also all just acknowledge like the common female experience and just just voice that and all came together on what our needs are in response to it, that would be like the biggest f you to the system you know so yeah definitely ask for help and that's and that's the the whole thing like being disconnected from our bodies is that so that way we won't do that like think that we're alone and have all this shame because shame means loneliness and if you're alone then you can't cause trouble (laughs) uh wrong we will cause trouble so (laughs) but i think yeah there's definitely something beautiful about when folks come together and just like there's no fixing of the thing necessarily but i call it the supporting of the thing and say here's the thing i'm dealing with and all of a sudden you're not the only one holding it anymore you have a bunch of other beautiful hands holding it with you and it's not to fix it it's just to hold it and it's so beautiful oh it makes me want to cry wonderful yeah Yeah. all right nicole used to that oh so no go ahead (laughs) that's fine (laughs) we're we're not used to that the thing we're not used to that like method of healing of not trying to just immediately fix the problem but like an actual like holistic way of healing is being with what you're going through right now rather than taking a magic pill and fixing it immediately or ignoring it right? Just covering up, just covering up the pain. It doesn't even fix it. It just covers up the pain for a little bit. So you can get back to work. (laughs) That's the the usual thing. So I was going to say, we'll wrap up, but I want you to tell people like, what are you working on? Where can people find you? What you've got going on? I think you have something coming up in October, is it? Uh, So if you want to tell folks about that, then yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so people can find me at bodycompass.me and I have, you know, I'm working with people one-on-one, but I'm also working on a group class right now that's about body image and somatics and feeling pleasure in your body um, for women throughout their life cycle. So it's with all the difficulties that come when you um, have your first menstruation, when you go through birth and the postpartum, when you're going through menopause and we have... Um, this very fluid body of ours um, and we're so resistant to fluidity um, and the way we understand our bodies now so this is a course giving you tools on how to deal with that Um, and that will start in October Um, otherwise people can find me on my socials which I try desperately to keep active but does not come (laughs) naturally to me so yeah (laughs) it's body compassed on me on Instagram 
Beautiful. We'll also link all those in the show notes so people can just click on them and, and come find you and then send you messages. Say, keep posting. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just best. kidding. Only post when you want to. There's no pressure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Nicole. This has been a very fruitful conversation. And I know a lot of people are definitely going to benefit from it and hopefully do a little soul searching about feeling their emotions and surrounding themselves with other supportive uh, women or like-minded folks to help share the burden, so to speak. Mm, Thanks so much for having me, Terry. Oh my gosh, I hope that episode left you with some delicious info and action steps to take to help you move through your squidgy feelings. I would love it if you could like, share, and leave a review as it helps other people find this content. In addition to that, I'm excited to tell you about the Patreon membership where our members go to get even more good stuff. I'm talking challenges, weekly posts, images that have never been seen, and a little FaceTime from yours truly. Of course, with a focus on mindset, body image, and creativity, we are going to get into all the squidginess about what it means to be a human. You can check out the different membership options at patreon.com forward slash Terry Hofford, as well as at the link in the show notes. 